0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we thank you for the reminders we have uh, all around us of your presence with us. God, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember your promises to us. Help us to remember your presence with us. And Lord, help us to be those who remind others pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 28, and it's pretty short. This is Jesus describing uh, what the kingdom of God is like and using various parables, and here's one right here. He, said, he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, and the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And turning to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. As Paul continues in his letter to the church in Corinth. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to the one, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Quick question for you. Is it better to do right or to do wrong? Oh, that's an easy question, isn't it? You guys came prepared. (laughs) Is it better to do right or to do wrong? And of course, the answer is to do right. Yeah, we know that. Do we do that? Well, if we know it's better, why don't we just do that? And I think part of that goes back to why we think it's better to do right. So, for example, I mean, just think about this for a second why do right when given a choice between something that is right you know it's right there's not a question about it. this is not it for debate this is a clear one you know that this is the right thing to do you know this is the wrong thing to do why do right especially when it might be hard there might be pressures for you to take the wrong road why do right. And there are verses in the Bible, for example, like Deuteronomy 6:18 where it says, "Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors." Well, there you go. I think this is exactly how a lot of us take it. Is okay, I will do right, and then God will do good things for me. And so, this is a way of making sure that I'm on God's good side so that He does good things for me this way. Does that sound right? I mean, I just read it's from the Bible. Of course, here's something else from the Bible: this is Ecclesiastes 8:14 where it says there's something else meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say is meaningless. That's also in the Bible, but sometimes people do what's right and they don't get good things. And some people do what's wrong and they get good things. So I ask again, so why do right? Right. <laughs> We are going to let that question just sort of hang in our minds for a bit, and we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 23, picking up the story that we had been uh, in for a while. This is one of those meanwhile back at the ranch moments where uh, we had been talking about joseph and his brothers and how his brothers had sold him into slavery in egypt because they were jealous of his their father's love for him their preference the father had for him and the way that he had his uh dreams of greatness to come that uh, put him over them and uh they didn't like it so they they didn't end up killing him but they did sell him to slavery in egypt and right after that happens then we kind of left off that story and we went and talked about Judah, one of the brothers and what happened in his life over the next several years. And now we're going to skip back in time uh, to Joseph's story again, picking up what's been going on in his life while everything was going on that we read about last week with Judah. So here's where we pick up the story. So Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Interesting. This is Joseph in Egypt. Not the free man that he was before his brother sold him, but instead we see him now kind of picking up his story again, and he is a slave, a servant in Potiphar's house, uh, one of the one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard and we see that while he's there. This is, he's far from home. He's far from family. Definitely not the way that he saw his life going when he thinks back on those dreams of greatness. And yet it says the Lord was with him. The Lord is with him and it gave him, he prospered, he gave him success in everything he did. And what is the result? We see That the Lord is with Joseph, and Joseph we see doing what is right, and doing what is right by God and right by his master. There is a uh, verse actually in Colossians uh, chapter 3, 23 to 24, where you have Paul talking to slaves and saying, hey, if you are a slave, and this is the situation you find yourself in, here's how to carry that out. As someone who is, um, who is a Christian, it says, "Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving." Hmm. Interesting. So we have Joseph who actually finds himself in the situation, and this is long before Paul writes that. And yet we see him doing this, as though he is working for the Lord, not just for Potiphar. And so we don't see him in, uh, in his master's house and being all down about his situation. Instead, we see him just doing the things, being a uh, good servant to his master. Why? Because the Lord is with him. And as he does these things, what is the result? What is the result of Joseph living in a close relationship with God, even so far from home, so far from everyone he knows, even in a situation that is less than desirable? What's the result? Good things, right? For who? For whom? For Potiphar. Did you notice that? Joseph is serving faithfully, and Joseph's faithful servants leads to a blessing for somebody else. Hmm. A blessing for an Egyptian. Hmm. Now, if we've been following along the whole story of the book of Genesis so far, this ought to start ringing some bells, Right? Let's take you straight back to Genesis 12 when God first calls Abraham and tells him that it's through his family that all the nations on the earth are going to be blessed. And then we keep seeing Abraham and his various descendants (laughs) interact with other nations in ways that are not blessing the other nations. And we're like, well, this is not the way this is supposed to go. And now here we have Joseph who is actually doing that. He is actually bringing blessing to Egypt, doing the very thing that this family is supposed to be doing. So that's what the result is of Joseph's faithful service. At least that's the result to Potiphar. What's the result to Joseph for doing what is good and right by his master and by God? And that's where you get this whole real housewives of ancient Egypt episode or something. One of my sons would not let me title the sermon that. Anyway, but you have this episode where Potiphar's wife tries to get Joseph to do what is not right. And Joseph sticks to it, continues to do what's right by Potiphar and by God. And says, No, I'm not going to do that. Um, My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He won't do it. And what is her response? Potiphar's wife is fascinating because she is what everybody else is in the whole story so far. She is not particularly bad as we look at some of the other things that people have done before this. In fact, her not doing right is shockingly normal. Here's the thing. Here's what she does. She's just following the way of the world. Here's the way that, Here's the way that the way of the world works. See if you can recognize this not only with her but just even in modern day whether in your own life or those you know or those you know of. Listen. What she does first is she desires to do what is wrong. Step 1. Step 2. She tries to do what's wrong. So it's not just the desire, but now I actually try to do that. Although in this case, of course, it's going to take somebody going along with her in that. But when they refuse to go along with what she's wanting, then what does she do? Oh. Hates the one who won't go along with it. And then, now that she's um, in danger of being exposed as the one who's, Wanting to do wrong and trying to do wrong, she goes into self preservation spin mode, where she makes up a story, spins this whole tale of how really he's the one who was doing wrong and I was the one who was trying to do right. Does this sound familiar? All too familiar. And so, of course, when the master hears this from his own wife, he is very angry says he burns with anger. For those of you who have heard about the long nose of God um, <laughs> and how Hebrew has that expression for anger of being uh, short-nosed and God is very long-nosed, he's slow to anger kind of thing. Uh, yeah, this actually in Hebrew reads that, his nose became very hot. (laughs) So I guess translated, he burned with anger because that is exactly what that means. And so he takes Joseph and puts him in prison. What has Joseph done wrong to Potiphar? Nothing. Nothing. His faithful service to God and to Potiphar has brought Potiphar blessing and has brought Joseph personal suffering. Hmm. And so this is where we kind of have been following the trajectory of Joseph. And we talked about earlier how he had these dreams of greatness. And so it looks like, okay, here's where I am right now. And this is where I'm headed. I'm headed. Everything is going up and to the right. And yet, when we follow his story so far, he starts there and then his brothers sell him to slavery in Egypt. And now he's not only in slavery in Egypt, but now he's even in prison in Egypt. And it's just been down, down, down. In verse 21, it says, while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness what <laughs> things do not seem to be working out for joseph at this point in the story it sure seems like this would be a good moment to just throw your hands up and say that fine forget it this is if this is what doing right gets me i'm done I'll just play the same game the rest of the world is playing. I will try to cut every corner. I will try to take every advantage. I will run over people as I have to. I will climb, and I will make my own way in this world. That's what I'm going to do, because that's apparently the way the world works. That'd be understandable, right? But (laughs) it's not the way the story goes. Instead, even in the prison in Egypt... The Lord is with Joseph, and even in the prison, Joseph gets more responsibility, more work in the prison. but he's put in charge. He's given responsibility. He is still somehow leading, even from such a position. Why? Because he's continuing to do things right. He's continuing to live with God as God is with him. And so, what is the result of Joseph's faithful service even in prison? He's still in prison. But it leads to blessing for others, doesn't it? This means good things. For the warden, not so much for Joseph, but for the warden. And so again, we see the same pattern of faithful service to God. Walking with him is leading to blessing for others, even at the cost of personal suffering. You recognize this? Do You see this pattern? This isn't just Joseph, by the way. This is what it looks like. And so we go back to that question of why do right? And if the answer that we have is so that good things will happen to me, we'll quit when things get hard. We'll say this isn't working after all. This is meaningless, like the author of Ecclesiastes says. But remember, remember the story that we all live in. Remember The God who is with us, not just when things are good, but who's with us in everything. There's a monk a long time ago, Brother Lawrence, uh, who has a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God or something like that. And one of the quotes from that, um, I love it, he says, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Hear what he's saying? It's this God with us, not just when we're here, but when we're everywhere. And so he says in the same way that uh, he can have this closeness of relationship with God while he is taking communion, he has that same closeness of relationship when he is serving others in his kitchen and there's a thousand things happening and people calling for this and that and whatever else. And he's like, but but God is with me there too. Jesus tells multiple parables. Parables. Of masters who leave servants in charge. (laughs) And what they're supposed to be doing while they're away. There's a bunch of them, so I'm not going to read them all to you. I'm just going to remind you of them. (laughs) That with all of it is the, uh, those are praised who are doing what's right. Even when it feels like the master isn't around at all. even when it feels like he's never going to notice any of it. They're the ones who are praised. And then there are those who are judged, who decide, eh, I'll just serve myself instead of serving the master. It's no good. So come back. Two other verses. Hebrews 12, 3. There it is. As we think of how we are to live and the pressures we face, we think about Joseph, what he had to deal with. And Actually, let me start verse 1 of uh, Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the one that Joseph really points us to, isn't he? Whose faithful service led to a blessing for others, but also at the cost of personal sacrifice, personal suffering. And the author of the Hebrews says, when we're facing such opposition, don't grow weary, don't lose heart. Just keep thinking about Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Keep following his way and walk with God as we continue on this road. And then finally, 1 Peter 4.10. Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. In other words, we are, as I say, a part of this same story. And when we ask ourselves, you know, why do right? It all goes back to who we are. Who we are made to be in relationship with God. Right relationship with him and with each other and with this whole world. Sin breaks that down. But that's not the end of the story. And the God who knows us best who knows how we were made and what we were made for, calls us to live differently than the way of the world, but to follow the way of Jesus. And in doing so, he actually gives each of us gifts and says, okay, now here's what I want you to use these gifts for. And it's all for the same purpose, serving others. I hope that as you hear this, You have a better answer for the question of why do right, one that ties in not only with the blessing uh, that God told Abraham through your descendants, all peoples on earth will be blessed, but it ties it back all the way to the beginning of Genesis. The reason that God created people to begin with as those who reflect him into this world that we would do right, to live right with God, with others, to be who we were made to be, to do what we were made to do, knowing that we're going to fall along the way, all along the way. But that God's taking care of that too. That in Jesus we have forgiveness. And we get up, and we just keep going. Again and again, not losing heart, not getting discouraged, not looking for what's in it for me, but trusting that God knows what's best as we seek to serve him and others well, to be a blessing to others, knowing that in everything, God is with us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your presence with us in everything. Lord, we, um, we know that you have a perspective on our lives that is much better than the perspective we have. As we read uh, this part of uh, Joseph's story, we know that he doesn't know what's coming, but you do. For those of us who have read the rest of the story, we know what's coming for Joseph, but it's easy to forget that he didn't know. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we, uh, we look at the various situations that we go through and we don't know what's coming next either. We pray that you would help us to trust you and your way, uh, that we would remember your presence with us, that you would help us to stay faithful to you, to do what's right, even when it looks like that's just bringing uh, good things to everyone but us. Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to take our right place in the story that you're telling, of the blessings to the world, the way that we reflect you and your character, and how ultimately this all leads to the completion of your kingdom. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.